Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything's Been Done podcast, conversations in cycling subculture. I'm your host, Dustin Klein, and today's episode is brought to you by the EBD Gear Shop. We've got prints, we've got t-shirts, we've got shoes, stickers, and more, everything you could ever want at the EBD Gear Shop. Link and all that hoopla down below. Today's guest is a very humble, very strong, very dedicated cyclist. He has gone through some life transformations. He has a pure perspective on life, just a solid all-around dude. I'm very excited to talk to him and share some of his perspective with you. You can find him on Instagram at AbePDXTaco. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Abdulrahman Alkamis. Abdulrahman, thank you for being here for the very first time. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. We're going to try something a little different here. We're just going to start in with some uh, questions to try and get to, to the root of who, of who Mr. Alchemist is. All right, first question. Given the choice of anyone in the world, whom would you want to have as a dinner guest? Man. Uh, well, that's easy. Prince. Oh, Whoa, Prince. I don't know if I would have. That's cool. Yeah. He seems like such a cool dude. Like, you know, he has he has a lot of good stories, I feel like, you know. Uh, also, I feel I don't know. Looking at his interviews and, you know, growing up, it seems like just a cool dude. I don't know. I, I want to get to know Prince, but it's too late now. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do you, do you play music at all? Uh, I used to play a couple of instruments just like for, you know, shits and giggles, just like to get time to pass. Uh, I used to play the bass. Uh, I was terrible at it, but it was fun, you know. No way. Aspirations yeah. of being a young symbol when you grew up? Yeah. You know, I, I still believe that the g coolest I could be is probably be you become like a bassist to some like unknown band that nobody's going to hear of, hear about, you know. that Hey, that could still happen. That could still happen. <laughs> Hey, that's kind of a good segue into this question. Would you like to be famous? If so, in which way? Ah, hmm. <clears throat> uh, no, dude. I want to remain under the radar. Like, so maybe, so maybe that's why the bass career never quite took off. Exactly. You know, <laughs> like I want, I want somebody like twenty years from now and be like, you guys don't understand what type of, you know, ingenious this dude was doing. I was just playing the bass like normal. You know, yeah. you know, like, I don't know. I was just jamming and be like, no, Abe was like the shit. Just reinventing music. Just like, yeah. what? I, don't, I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this question is kind of stupid, but I'm going to ask it. Before making a f telephone call, who no which nobody does anymore, yeah. would you ever rehearse what you were going to say? Uh, if I'm yeah. talking to my dad, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Is he pretty like by the book? No, I, I, uh, my dad, my dad is not not a chatterbox, believe it or not. You know, so I didn't get him from him. Uh, but you know, I tried to think about like, oh, well, what is he going to talk about these? You know, this time is it about the car or is it the climate or you know, just I, it, it runs through my head. You know. Yeah, like, do you feel like you got to try to get him talking or keep exactly. him talking? Yeah, exactly. Because he, he will cut right straight to the point and be like, you know, just a one-word answer. He's not angry or anything like that, you know, but that's just his personality sometimes. 
Yeah, no, I totally understand that. You're like, so how are things? Well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then well. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do, do you have a pretty good relationship with your parents? Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, I love That's them. so good. Cool. Very cool. They're good buddies of mine. So, you know. Oh, sick. You guys talk on the phone often. Oh, I, I mean, if I don't call them more than, you know, once a week, there's something wrong. I'm either that or just forgotten about them. So I have to call them at least once a week. So No way. That's cool. Not to. Well, yeah, because, yeah, the, the, the habit has been established. Exactly. Yeah, that sounds like a good, healthy, healthy scenario, healthy yeah. pattern to have. All right, let's try this one. Uh, what would constitute a perfect day for you? A perfect day? Yeah. Oh, man. Waking up before the sunrise, doing a quick sunrise ride, coming back, making breakfast hash, which is my favorite breakfast. By then, I would have my second cup of coffee, do a couple of projects, play the vinyl, uh, play, you know, I'll have the records uh, uh, spinning, just, you know, playing some music in the background. Uh, I don't know, just like doing something, you know. I always seem to find myself doing something, you know, which is kind of good. So that is like the, the perfect day. It's just like from start to finish, I'm like doing something. I'm not going to let you slide on doing something. That's a very blanket statement. Doing something can be everything in the world. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I do like to, uh, uh, you know, just Google stuff about whatever I'm interested in, like Instructables. Uh, oh, cool. With that website, you know, I, I like checking that out a lot. I'm not going to lie. I do get sucked into the Instagram vortex of like, aimlessly you know just scrolling uh uh so that happens uh i don't know um that's a good point like sometimes like time i mean does time exist in 2020 i think i think the concept of time is like obsolete you know like i mean it's all on how you choose to use that tool i i guess i kind of think of time as a tool or a is a block for the day and and you can do a lot of things with that you can do nothing and it'll feel very ambiguous but you could fill it up with projects and appointments and things like yeah kind of you know one part personality one part circumstance oh dude how could i forget i i i cook it fun. yeah that's that's where most of my time actually is just if i'm in the house i'm just like always cooking oh for real yeah I'm always cooking. do do you so cooking for you is it based off of recipes or from the, <laughs> just off the hip Sometimes, uh, uh, you know, I have these recipes where I call them the bottom drawer pasta, whatever I have at the bottom drawer of my, you know, produce drawer, I just turn it to pasta. So um, <clears throat> you, you have that. And some days where I, you know, go out to the grocery store, chat with the butcher, chat with the uh, cheese guys, you know, I, I mean, I like that. I, I love to have that relationship. So it takes me at least an hour to an hour, uh, an hour and a half to two hours when I go shopping. I mean, I feel like a retired person, honestly. You know, go and talk to everybody, check the meat section, and be like, oh, this is good, you know? I, Gary! I don't, I don't go to just Freddy's right next to me. I go to, you know, TJ's, Freddy's. Sometimes I go to, like, a specialty store. Just, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's about the journey for me. I feel like you, being such a big cook, you would have maybe, like, weirder ride food than you have. I feel... I don't recall you having anything too wacky. 
Uh, or is there? Is there? Am I missing? What do you mean? Like, what kind of? Do you make your ride food? Ride? Oh yeah, dude. Uh, I used to. Uh, I used to make a lot of burritos. Uh, oh. Um. Just. I mean, inspired by your video, actually, I was like, oh. Well, oh really? Sick. Yeah. Instead of using foil and all that jazz, uh, I started making burritos. Uh, forgot what I used, what I'm carrying these days, man. Like you just did a crazy big ride last weekend. You did like a 170 mile loop around uh, Mount Rainier. Mount Hood. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Mount Hood, and it was like a 14. How long? A 12 hour ride or something. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the total was 188 miles with uh, over 14,000 feet. We left wow. uh, right around 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, 4.30 to be exact, uh, and we got back around 10.30. Uh, for that ride, I actually didn't bring any prepared food uh, for some strange reason, which is weird now that I think about it. I did have, uh, I think, three fritters on me, three apple fritters. Uh, you oh. love apple oh, fritters. Dude, I love fritters. They're just so good. I mean, especially when when they're all, you know all warmed up from the sun, or if you you know, or from, your pocket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Have you ever have you experienced experienced the joy of uh, having a warm uh, peanut butter, uh, one of those like Justin's peanut butter uh, sacks, like in the middle of the winter after you pull it from your jersey? Oh, good call. It's just so good. Yeah, I have experienced that. And I think maybe like subconsciously it's like, oh, this is a little kind of like a little pleasure, like you know, but it, it didn't. I think it was overridden by the misery of whatever situation yeah. I was in. <laughs> I.e. my existence. No. <laughs> um, well, I, actually, I think it makes sense that you might not have made food for the hood ride because sometimes making the food is just like so much more prep. Make yeah. the food, get the bike, make sure you wake up at two in the morning or whatever crazy shit you do. Yeah. I mean, so much, so much, so much of it. Uh, um, no, you know, I think about that, right? Uh, I, I thought about that right throughout the week. I was like, that was such an interesting ride because I, I just, you know, got in touch with Garrett and was like, yo, you want to ride it on Sunday? And he was like, yeah, sure. I was like, sweet, I'll see you Sunday, you know, 4.30. Wow. Yeah, I usually kind of like, you know, think about it. It's, it's at the back of my head. So I tend to go to the store, prep for it, uh, and mentally, I guess, slightly be concerned about it, you know, like make sure that I leave on time and get back on time. But that ride just seemed like, you know, uh, I don't know. It just happened. Like, you know, I just asked him and he said, yeah, and we just went. So I picked up whatever I had in my, my house and slept. Wait, how long before did you ask him? Uh, I think it was like either Thursday or Friday or something like okay, that. Okay, like like yeah, that's pretty tight. Yeah, yeah, just like two three days. Be like, hey, you feel like doing a twelve hour bike ride on Sunday? <laughs> a, uh, yeah. I feel like we should give a little context for people. So you were born in Kuwait, mm -hmm. and you came to America uh, for for university and stuff, and you made your way to Portland eventually, which was a place that you've actually been connected to you had a draw to portland for a long time oh yeah and then in portland that's where you basically it you i don't want to say yeah started cycling got serious about cycling that would be a good a valid statement like cycling came into your life after you moved to portland 
definitely. Yeah. And then at that point, Abe was 340 pounds, which you would, I would, I had no idea that this was the same person. So the fact that you, it, it really, from what I've gathered is moving to Portland completely changed your whole life. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, and that is it's amazing uh, how, like, you know, a, a, a geographical location can help you achieve all of that, you know? <clears throat> Very well put. Did you know that that could happen? Uh, like, like a location could alter your life so dramatically? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know, but I, I, I had faith in it. Like, uh, <clears throat> so there's a, a, a piece of poetry that I loved as a kid and I still love. Uh, by an Arabic poet. Um, it's super short, but the meaning of the, uh, the poem is uh, just keep on traveling and just keep on moving. And there's a line that really stuck with me that <clears throat> where he says, if the water stays still, it goes bad. It goes stale. So yep. fresh, just keep on moving, you know? So <clears throat> I feel like having that idea in the back of my head, uh, I felt like I needed to maybe go to a place where literally has a lot of water. So I guess, I mean, like Portland, I mean, uh, so there's, there's always a movement. There's always something that inspires me to go and do something and go, go somewhere. Uh, and people that help me, you know, see things in a different way that I've never thought about before. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. There's like a sense of movement. Yeah. And I, I feel like at one point you mentioned how, or this ties in, fear can be something that will stop people from making movement. And that's something that you've told me in the past that uh, you'll actually like press into that fear or like the, the discomfort of something that's unknown or unfamiliar. Yeah. Can you kind of explain how that goes through in your mind? You know, uh, I think for for this context, for the context of me living here in the states specifically, as as you mentioned before, like I have a finite amount of time, and, and we we all do, right? But it, it's, I mean, sometimes we forget about it. Not a, not everybody thinks that maybe fifty years from now I'm going to be dead, like it's or present, next week, or next week, right? You know, it's not present in your head. But for me, I know for a fact that I have to leave the U.S. unless I satisfy certain requirements by a certain amount of time. So for me, I'm like, I'm not going to wait till then. I'm going to ride my legs off. So, I mean, I'm just going to ride till they fall off, basically. Uh, so I feel like that changed my perception of fear or discomfort or the comfort zone into something. For, um, uh, I think I think I mentioned it to you as like people see difference or people see things like that as a deficit rather than a resource. So maybe I saw I, I, something clicked and I started seeing fear as a resource. You know? I love this. Can you kind of explain that a little bit more? Like how, like, how do you, how would you tell, how would you teach like your son how to interact with fear differently? Like, cause it, you know, just saying, oh, it just flipped. Like, got it. Like, where's yeah. the switch? Like, where's the switch? <laughs> That's a good point. I, I don't know if I can answer the question right away, but for me, I feel like, uh, the fact that I failed uh, made it possible for me to realize that it doesn't mean the end. It means a new beginning to something else, or it means that I have 
uh, less chances of messing it up next time, you know? Uh, hmm. I like that. You know what I'm saying? So maybe instead of like talking to somebody about fear, maybe try to install into uh, in them like um, uh, the love of like trying again and again and again and again, or not fearing trying again and again and again. I mean. Well, and I think that there's something there with, I, I don't think the issue is trying again. I think that the, the hurdle I would say is the, is failing. And when you fail, as we may or may not know personally, it's really frustrating and it doesn't feel good. And, and like, I'll get angry and it's just like, fuck, this thing has gone wrong. But it's almost like you, so what you're saying is like seeing that as an opportunity to be like, okay, you, it's like a learning experience. A mistake is an opportunity to learn. Definitely. And Maybe what I'm gathering is to, you know, yes, that emotional spike of discomfort, it's kind of inevitable. Like, just let it be. Don't necessarily play into it, but know through that smoke or that fog of frustration that what you actually see beyond that is a new chance, is a new opportunity, is is actually like a you've like stepped up a stair and a stair and a stair. You know, uh, I guess my, I, I was never, I mean, it's not like I was always like that. I mean, it's a learning curve. Uh, but I tend to ask myself sometimes, you know, if I get angry, where is that going to get me? I mean, nowhere. I mean, I'm just going to be angry and be pissed off, fuming, and that's probably going to be the end of the day. Uh, but, you know, uh, maybe I learned that from cycling. You know, when you get like cut off by somebody or somebody tries to, you know, um, I don't know, ram to you somehow with their car. Or the pickups, they'll rev their engine. There's yeah. a ton of limitless yeah. examples. Limitless. Right. You know, if I'm, if I'm out riding 100 miles and a mile 50, somebody tries to do something, you know, of that sort. I'm not just going to turn around and be like, fuck it. I'm just going to go home. This is shitty. And I'm just like, no, I'm going to go continue on. So. Um, I'm not sure if I'm hitting the bullseye right here. Yeah, it's okay. The, so even that traffic scenario, I love this one because it's so simple. Is um, so are you consciously? So the knee jerk reaction to that like honk mm-hmm. is to be like "fuck you." You know, it's like it's just like this. You know, we're we're like afraid because like our lives are so we're so vulnerable. You know, and then it's like ah, how dare you? But. I feel like you're not necessarily the person that's doing that, like the knee jerk reaction, the, the fuck you, like you dick, like you'll kind of just, how will you deal with that scenario? For me, I, I'm, I'm guilty of, you know, that exactly. But I love hearing that because that shows you're human. I so mean, that, I appreciate that, but I don't think that's how you normally respond. Like it's, it doesn't, it's not so much in your disposition. Uh, you know, but uh, like, for example, somebody somebody actually uh, uh, a few weeks back uh, l- literally brushed me off with his, you know, uh, car on Decom headed out to Marin Drive. I was shocked by my own response to him because I usually kind of, you know, be angry for a second and try to resolve the situation right away. But that day, just something something was weird. Like he was the one who blew up and I was like, this is not about me. Right. It's never about you. It's exactly. always about the other person. Exactly. So I was like, um, I don't know. This is not about me. I just, you know, uh, 
double checked that everything was working fine and went on my way. Uh, but I think maybe some that made me realize that, you know, had I had I responded to that differently, I might have had like a different outcome, you know, uh, something worse. Right. Because he was like, you know, trigger happy. You could have he was just waiting for someone to. Yeah. Oh, uh, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It, so it does seem like it, it, you know, no one's really impervious to that, like rush of anger. Mm-hmm. And it really is about like what you I always think of it as like a ball of fire. Like, yeah. it's just like you or like, you know, they they swerve at you. They they knock you off the road. They're throwing a ball of fire at you and you catch it. And you're like, what do you do with this? Yeah. And the easiest thing to do is throw it right back. But it's almost like if you just hold it for a second, it just like disappears. Well, maybe like a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on the situation. I've been I've been in situations where I've been fuming for hours, you know. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I forgot who was talking about that. There's like something. Uh, I'm not sure if it's spiritual or anything like that, but a lot. I hear a lot of talk about channeling that energy, you know, from anger to something else. You know. How do you do this? Uh, I, I I don't know. Just be mindful. You know, just being aware of it because the, in reality, Dustin, like I don't think we don't know what we don't know, right? Okay. So until until something happens that makes you realize that you didn't know this thing, you didn't know that I can channel this anger into something else. I feel like you have to go through that first. So like, yeah. So almost just like like we might as well experiment with it because we don't know what we could be accessing. Exactly. Interesting. Oh, I like your, your perspective is so good. It's, it's so clean is what I want to say. I like this. I'm trying to remember where I got this from, honestly. Uh, I mean, it doesn't really even matter too. thousands of years of Eastern religion. <laughs> like <laughs> it might be avatar, you know, because I, you know, that's tight. Totally. <laughs> Hey, you, I, I, I always say I get it where I can get it. Like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck if it's like Dora the Explorer or like Siddhartha, like whatever. Um, <laughs> oh. uh, let's see. We'll, we'll, we'll go back to the list. These seem to be good for sparking something. Uh, if you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? And I'm not really reading these before. I'm just picking them. So <laughs> oh, if they're too weird to say, like, I don't know. No. Uh, one thing I would change, uh, probably uh, the location. Oh, yeah. Right. We keep coming back to this. Location is is really a big one for you. Yeah. I felt, I felt that the biggest block in the road for me was – uh, the ge- geographical location that I was at. Uh, it's just very, very limiting, uh, at least to the things that I would, I, I want to do. I mean, there's always so many things that you can do. Uh, every, you will find to do, you'll find something to do regardless of where you are. Right. Okay. This is good. I love this. So I also completely relate grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. It just didn't have the things I was interested in. Yeah. Part of me, devil's advocate, wants to say, well, why not just work with the resources that you have? Do the best with what you've got. Mm-hmm. 100%. Absolutely. But I think there's a certain amount of uh, like 
appreciating or living to your mm -hmm. true potential that being in another place helps you access. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It goes back to that, that poem that I was uh, referencing in, in the beginning. Uh, he mentions, uh, that poem mentions something about, you know, you need to travel in order to find out, you know, and he didn't specify to find out things because, yeah. you know, your immediate, uh, you get so numb to your immediate, uh, uh, like context, context that you're living in that you didn't realize there were so many other things outside. Uh, it's interesting when I talk to strangers, for example, uh, at coffee shops, I learn, I learn a lot from them. You know, even the small talk, I, you learn a lot from small talk, I've noticed personally, than like sitting down with somebody and talking about one thing, for example, you know? Um, I don't know, uh, there's just something interesting about going out and exploring curiosity, I guess it kind of links back to curiosity, curiosity maybe. Uh, so I was curious about what's outside of the region that I grew up at, you know? I want to, I want to touch back on the small talk thing. Uh, the, I, again, I love your perspective on this. So often I hear people say, Oh, I fucking hate small talk. It's so pointless. It's this and that. And it's like, yo, you need to have small talk to get to big talk. Like you can't just like, you got to have foreplay before you get to the good stuff. Like it just, it, so I, I like that your like relationship to small talk is so, is so open. And you like, how will, can you even like kind of walk me or you just like talk about someone, something, and then just kind of see where it leads. Or are you trying to be like, Oh, I'm curious what's up with this person. You know, most of the time I'm just guilty of eavesdropping on uh, implicitly, uh, uh, implicitly, like I, I just, my, my, they get my attention talking about something, you know, and I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm nosy, but I'm really, really outgoing that I find it, I, I find it enjoyable reaching out to, you know, people like, oh, hey, yeah, you know, blah, 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 uh, Minnesota or something like that. But it mostly happens like, I love it. I love it when it happens in airports because you meet people from like all over the world. You know, cool. uh, I remember, uh, remember meeting somebody, um, I think it was my second time going back home, or first time going back home, um, and uh, she was on my flight, she was sitting right next to me, um, but, you know, we ended up chatting, and I was like, hey, where are you going? She's like, I was going to Russia, she, she was going to Russia for the 2016 Winter Olympics, and oh. we talked about it, she explained it, uh, um, it, was, it was really interesting, what she was doing. And then like a couple of weeks later, I hear about the Olympics, uh, winter Olympics. I was like, Oh, that, you know, that lady, she's, you know, um, I don't know that it's interesting. Like I wouldn't have known about, you know, that in depth without talking to her, for example, or there's like a connection to it, you know? Uh, uh yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Or sometimes you, you talk about, uh, where you're going and people like um, tell you about places that they've been to, which is typical, you know, uh, or somehow we find out that the world is smaller than, than you think, you know, they might know somebody that, you know, um, I'm rambling right now. <laughs> no, this is, this is great. It's almost like the, that drive for you seems like it's this inherent sense of curiosity. Like you're just kind of, you're, you're very open and just intrigued by like, what, like, what is this person? Like, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of like walls or judgment 
it's more like doors are open and you're like, oh, what can you, like, how can we learn from each other almost? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, as I said, um, I, I keep on, I love, I love telling people that, especially my friends, that they have uh, such a big effect on my life that I just can't put into words. Like, I learn a lot by watching people, by talking to them. Uh, more than they can think. Like, just, I mean, people are just like, they're not just vessels filled with information walking around. No, I mean, there's like uh, new perspectives that I never knew about. Yeah. Uh, some, some, I mean, I think Bill Nye says, said that, that uh, you'll always, you'll always meet somebody who knows more than you do. A hundred percent. So that goes for cycling too. Yes. There's exactly. always someone faster. There's always someone stronger. There's always, yeah, yeah, that's like a humbling thing. I want to find that person, and I want to know what they have, what they know. It's not because I want to know more than about them, more more than they do. I just want to know what they have. I mean, just here. But that's everybody, because everybody has so many different experiences that inevitably they're they've been focusing on this weird nerdy subculture of cycling for yeah. way too fucking long, and they know a lot of shit about it. And nobody else understands it. And they're like, you do what? And you wear what? For how long? What? Yeah. But it's like the, the table tennis version or the like gardening version or the whatever. And we'll never know it all too. That yeah. fucking like, I mean, that one trips me out. There's so much out there and there's so little time. So maximize as much as you can. Without getting overwhelmed. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, just... Yeah, like just try to. Yeah, it's a, well, it, it, and I, it's always I say this all the time. It's balance, mm -hmm. you know. Be intrigued. Don't get overwhelmed. Like, <laughs> yeah. pack your lunch, drink your water, take a break, work hard. Like, not too hard, just hard enough. Oh. Uh, let's see. Let's try. We'll go back to the, yeah. the story things or the questions. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained one quality or ability. What would it be? Oh man, speak another language. I would love. Oh, it. that is hilarious. Because you already have a master's degree in linguistics. Which yeah. Uh, maybe I said that wrong, but basically, and he just finished this like a couple months ago. A couple months ago, yeah. Uh, Congratulations. Thanks. That was a, that was a journey. Yeah, I would love to speak another language. Man, can you imagine? We, we were just talking about that. I can talk to more people. I can know more perspectives. I get. Uh, I got to, I, I mean, I get to, uh, understand a whole nother culture and, yeah. you know, so, uh, I'm curious of how, because you're so receptive to this, the different culture, the whatever it, so how has it been for you? I don't even know exactly what this question is growing up in Kuwait, living so intensely in America, like you're kind of able to get these two cultures very intimately and so differently. How has that kind of changed your perception? Of what? I don't know. Like, I'm it's just curious to, to know these two cultures so well. And it's essentially what you're saying. If you could learn another one. So mm -hmm. basically what I'm saying is you've already done this kind of once. Mm -hmm. And now it can be kind of hard to like pull back like, oh, yeah, I do know these, uh, this whole other culture mm -hmm. being America for you. Yeah. Maybe it's too big of a question. Like, how has that like affected and changed your reality? Well, it, uh, I feel like it gave me so so many tools that I can use 
to uh, a gain information, b enjoy the culture and learn from the people themselves. Uh, and um, I mean, you're right. It's too big of a question uh, in order to answer fully. But for, uh, for me, I don't think it. I don't think of like uh, my my philosophy on language and my philosophy on information. It goes against the philosophy of boxing it into different things like, oh, I have a box for the Kuwaiti culture. I have a box for the U.S. culture uh, because it gets too messy too quickly because when I say I have a box for the U.S. culture, it's like, which one are we talking about? Cool. So many. So for me, it's just a single box of uh, resources that I just keep on dumping things into and be like, I have this much information about all that I know. So and I just... So for me, it's just going to be another thing that I'm going to put in that box that is either information or tools, I guess. This is, this is reminding me a lot of what we study, honestly. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, you know, because we, we, we think a lot about uh, how the brain works, you know, with respect to language and society and uh, how you learn the language. I mean, you don't learn the language. You can, you, we can talk about learning the language uh, biologically, we can t- talk about learning a language psycho- psychologically, right? Uh, there's so many things that happens. It's, it's just a, it's just a one piece of the puzzle. Uh, and uh, I forgot what I was going with this, but um, it, it, you're always constantly thinking about so many pieces, and you're seeing how how they're connected. That was like a perfect equivalent answer to my. Weird question. <laughs> it was like a very abstract question and I got a very abstract answer. You get what you pay for here. Uh, oh, this is so in line with what you've talked about already. What do you value most in a friendship? Uh, what I value most of a friendship? Honestly, just the time. Definitely spending the time with, with, with someone uh, is so, so, so uh, uh, valuable to me. Uh, because in reality, most of the time, most of the time we're, we're by ourselves or with, you know, with somebody that we, uh, cohabitate with, right. Uh, families or partners or whoever. Uh, so I don't know. Um, I've, I've validated even more here in the States because everybody's busy. Everybody has their own schedule. Uh, it's, it's some sort of an indiv- individualistic society. Whereas back home, you're never alone, you know? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. It's hard. You have to try to be alone. You don't. You don't have to try hard to be with someone. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Which Which do you prefer, being with people or being alone? It, it depends on the day and the hour. Uh, right. You're human. It's a little bit of both. Yes, I love. I love eating with people. You know, uh, I, I, I've I've had lunch and dinners almost on a daily basis with my parents, my siblings, sometimes my extended family. Uh, at least once a week uh, with my extended family, but every, almost every day with my siblings and my parents, you know? Through, uh, like, uh, like uh, FaceTime or something? Uh, back then. Oh, when you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and then, what about now? Do you try to do those share meals with people, consciously try to share meals with people now always, in America? Always. I mean, I've been, I've been, I've been, uh, been guilty of overfeeding people because, <laughs> you know, just saying God and we're constantly talking and, I just, you know, uh, scoop some rice or whatever I'm making that night into their plate without them seeing. <laughs> they just keep eating. You know, just keep on eating because we're having fun. We're eating, you know. 
drinking whatever we're drinking, kombucha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a thing too. You, what is it? You've never drinking or had a cigarette in your whole life? Is that you? Yeah, I, 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 I guess. Do they call it like a straight edge? Is that is that? Yeah, that is like a it's like a subculture term. Like a straight edge, you know. You know, you know, for for life too. Life. Yeah. Dedicated. Okay, let's see. Uh, alternate. Oh, no, da, 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 da. Are you like on a website or something? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, this one I already kind of know. This one. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this one. No. What's that? You might know, but the onions might not know. Well, based off of what you've been talking about, oh. but I'll read it. It was uh, how close and warm is your family? Oh, and then there's it's a two part. Do you feel your childhood was happier than most people? Ooh, it almost, almost a little, could be that could be a heavy one for some people. It could be a heavy one. I don't know, honestly. <laughs> My childhood was pretty average, you know. Um, yeah, it's pretty average. Growing up in extremely hot weather. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's the dude. The heat, holy! Do you do you miss that at all? Not a bit. I yeah. love it when it gets cold. That is that is my vibe. Like I love it when I have to put on multiple layers. Wow! Even when you lived in Minnesota, even that cold. Yeah. Oh man, that was that was freezing cold. I loved it, but I didn't want to spend that much time outside. But it was still kind of interesting. Right. Yeah, it's hard to be outside. I, that's true. Yeah, seeing snow for the first time was, was in Minnesota. Uh, you know, I remember it was a Sunday night. Uh, and I went to bed and it was completely normal outside. Monday morning, we had over seven inches of snow. Uh, and it was it was mind blowing. See, in all uh, the whole region around me just turned white. Did you go out while it was snowing at all? Oh yeah, I took out my Subi that I owned back then. Just went out drifting with a buddy of mine. Oh, that's cool. Isn't, isn't you, it like a Midwestern thing to do? Like go and drift in the snow? I don't know. Probably. Well, which is funny because I don't know. <laughs> uh, one thing I always really loved about when that when it's like thick snowflakes and it's falling, the sound is so crazy because the whole environment is like a soft. Well, it's not a soft box, but sound, it's, it doesn't bounce because everything's soft. So it's like really quiet. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember noticing that at all? No, I don't think I paid attention to that. But I think now that I know, I will pay attention to it. It's marked in my brain. Yes. And, yeah, and it's like a certain type of snow, too. So it's, you know, the environment has to be this right. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I'll let you know next time I uh, go to Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, no, I don't want to go back. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, what's your most treasured memory? Oh, uh, so many of them I can't choose. Uh, you got to give me an age. Oh, okay. 22. Can it be that? That sounds, I wouldn't know shit if it's specifically that age. Uh, I think 22, I was packing and leaving Tampa and moving to Minnesota. So maybe that road trip. Ah, yeah. A new horizons, exciting time. Just being on the road, you know, going through all the towns, eating all the amazing food on the road, you know, uh, stopping in Nashville, checking out 
you know, the historic monuments and all that. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, wait, for some reason, I suddenly want to ask you again about when you changed your, your body. I still can't get over the fact that you <laughs> completely transformed your body. And you just did it from just riding your bike. Like it just, did you notice where you're like, wait a minute, I'm like losing weight. Uh, I don't know, honestly, I think. Have you realized that this has happened? Maybe we we should start there. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think the, the biggest indicator was the fact that I started buying more belts than I used to, you oh, know? Wow. Uh, I was like, I, I wanted to have a couple of belts, uh, instead of none, you know? So I was like, and then I realized that, I, Hey, my, I mean, my pants are falling off, uh, cause I yeah. looked lost half of my weight, you know? Right. Like, were you surprised that this was happening? Were you like, what's going on? I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised as much as I was just kind of preoccupied with whatever was happening, like, you know, hiking, cycling, uh, packpacking, you know, uh, all of that is, it, it was never present in my head. Uh, I think it was something that other people kind of, uh, alluded to. Like when I talked to my parents, you know, my mom is kind of terrified looking at my face was like, are you right? She's like, you're not eating enough. Classic yeah. mom. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, mom, I'm eating enough. Trust me. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think, I think it, it just happened implicitly on my end. I love it. Cause I, and the reason I keep asking about it is I feel like, you know, there's people that are maybe like a little bit overweight and they want to lose weight. And you know, it's like, how do you do it? And I fucking love your story. If you're like, I was just basically obsessed with like physical <laughs> activities, riding bikes, hiking, backpacking. And it just sort of happened. Yeah. You didn't, you still eat a ton, you, you know, like, <laughs> And it's almost like you, I like how you said this before, what do you, you ride to eat and eat to ride? Yeah. I think I saw it on someone's, uh, someone was wearing a jersey that said that and I was like, I love it. Yeah. I feel like that is kind of a, like, yeah, it's almost just like the byproduct of cycling too, because when you ride a ton, you're just like needing to eat all the time. Yeah. You know, I, I think... I don't want to say it's an adaptation to my environment, but it might as well been that, right? Because the spirit of Portland and Oregon is like kind of being active. It encourages you. It's like riding. I mean, when you ride your uh, Cervelo that's, you know, 15 pounds, all you want to do is go fast, you know? Yeah. But when I'm riding my gravel bike, I just want to relax. And I, I think I kind of get into the zone of the environment itself it's just yeah all of that kind of pushes me towards uh uh that product that i ended up being i guess yeah okay i love it i love it and actually maybe maybe you should tell us about the the biggest ride you've ever done so we get a little context on how crazy this dude went into cycling <laughs> <laughs> and is still in as this as it just a side note, his Strava right now, his average for the last four weeks is 295 miles a week. Yeah. 21 hours. <laughs> and for 2020, his climbing is 4,000. No, it's bigger than that. 452,000 feet of elevation. I don't even understand that number. <laughs> 
you're just like throwing numbers. I'm like, what does that mean? I honestly, it, like 21 hours a week doesn't seem that much, right? I mean, how many hours a week do we have? Like, so that's a good question. Because uh, it, uh, like, how many waking hours, right? How many hours are we awake a day? Um, uh, I wake up. I wake up. Oh, it's it's 24 minus eight. Are you quick with numbers? No. <laughs> you know who is Seppi? He'd be like, fuck. It's like 38 and a half by 5 16 He's like, that. <laughs> oh, man. And I so, mean, we can figure it out. But that's why. I don't, yeah. No, I don't know. But it doesn't seem like that. that's too much, right? I don't know. Man, if I had, if I had the time, I would go even further. Wow. Longer. But I've been, I've been super busy lately just with the whole situation. So uh, it's whatever I can do. Uh, wait, tell us about the biggest ride you've ever done. I want to hear that story. I've done. I was inspired by, you know, the randonneurs and their story and all that. And I just wanted to through, be able to ride 300 miles in 24 hours. Uh, so I um, looked at the multiple routes and uh, the one that seemed to be the best, which ended up being the worst in my opinion, was riding from Portland to uh, Eugene and back. Uh, so we were basically scoping the valley, the Willamette Valley. But it, oh. I mean, that could be a really uh, troubling ride because the wind will be the biggest, uh, uh, the biggest killer. And it was. Um, yeah. How much elevation was on that? Supposedly it was supposed to be like 8,000 feet, which is super oh, Very palatable. Yeah, I mean... For 300 miles. <laughs> but I think it ended up being more than that uh, for, for the full thing, which Garrett Garrett is a freaking monster. He finished the whole thing. Oh, he did it? He did. He finished the whole thing. He ended up riding 345 miles that day. He's 45? A, he added 45? Mm-hmm. 345 Holy miles. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, so... Wow. How long? And you got to, what did you end up at? So say again? 270. 270. That's insane. And then how long was that? Do you remember? Uh, so we left at midnight on Saturday. We met around 11.45 on, on Friday. Uh, oh, right. Friday. Uh, yeah. And then we uh, rode down to Salem. That took us around five hours, I think. And from Salem all the way to Eugene, that's when the shit hit the fan because the wind started picking up and then rain came out of nowhere. Oh. We're talking about, you know when it rains so hard that you can't even see the person in front of you? It was, yeah, it was raining that hard. But here's the catch. It wasn't like 60 degrees or, or lower. It was 80 fucking five degrees. And oh, it whoa. Rain, so you can you can put your jacket on because you're gonna sweat on the inside, right? Uh, so it was it was weird. It was a weird day. Uh, so, but luckily, by the time we got to Eugene, uh, uh, we got clear skies. The wind died down. We got a. Uh, I think everybody ate like a total of five pizzas or something that day. Wait, how many? How many people were with you? Uh, three. Uh, okay. Garrett, Five pieces between three people. That's fucking intense. Uh, there were the twelve-inch ones. The oh yeah. Ones. Cool. So, I'm thinking like giant pizzas. Oh no no, that would be, that'd be terrible, man. 
Uh, <laughs> can't imagine the pit stops. Uh, uh, it was uh, so Garrett, Kevin from uh, Pedal PT, and and I. Uh, Sick. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, the first half was I thought which I thought was the worst, but it's the second half that kind of killed us all. Everybody went into their own valley and known that uh but it's amazing how we kind of all pulled each other through it well uh i mean uh, yeah it wasn't it wasn't easy but it had to be done because we had another 150 miles to go uh, then did you do you get not that this really matters but did you did you you didn't get you had to get a ride then right yeah I, okay I, I wasn't sure if you like got home and then they did some other thing i don't know okay. no yeah it was just like yeah it's that line of like safety to pushing yourself yeah i, I think we talked about it where uh we boiled it down to like should i or could i you know i mean because you're asking yourself can i do it uh you're asking uh, i think when you ask yourself that question you're trying yeah. to figure out how far you can go but when you ask yourself, should I do this? You're trying to risk, ask yourself, should I risk it? Should I risk my, you know, health uh, for this? And I think yeah. I went to that fork and I decided to go left, I guess. So should I? And I didn't. Which is, I think it's great to know your edge and your edge is way the hell out there too. <laughs> I want to push it still. I want to push it still. Like, I mean, you know what would be really, really cool? doing the Paris Brest Paris like that is that is such a cool cool ride uh, what is how long is that is it 325 or something oh no it's 1200 kilometers so 770 miles I think holy uh, shit yeah uh, the guys the guys crushed it uh, last year you know uh, I'm mean, reading reading their reflection on it was so so amazing uh, 700 mile bike ride. Yeah, and like a, a little bit over fifty hours or something. That is Dude, that's that's super human. That Here. sounds so horrible, <laughs> honestly. That, <laughs> there's it. I I hear that and I think, fuck, no, thank you. And you hear that and you're like, oh, that is possible. <laughs> I think about all the croissants and fritters that I can eat. You know, throughout unlimited, the, unlimited, dude. It just eat your weight. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I, have you ever had the thing happen when you're going on big rides and you you basically, like, eat too much sugar? I mean, I uh, guess it's, it's yeah. kind of like bonking, but it's like a weird version of bonking. Yeah. You get, like, hollowed out from it or something. I know exactly what we're talking about. It's just, I, I think it's part of the reason that I stopped eating sugar as much as I used to on rides. Because, uh, I'm not sure who mentioned this, but, like, it gives you the spike of power and then when you crash you crash harder hard yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good pick yeah. right yeah but you you got to be careful with them because they'll they'll bite you like mm -hmm. you can't you know dude even like a, i don't even understand like a 300 mile day it's almost like you don't want to like hit sugar too soon because it can like just ruin the rest of the day man i would i think i kept a list of what i brought with me i all I can remember right now is I think I brought four fritters uh, that uh, wanted to eat every 50 miles. I uh, brought a lot of uh, uh, cheese. 
Those oh, that's cool. Tiny ones, the circle ones. Bellas or something. Something like that. Uh, yeah. Ah, lots of uh, lots of uh, um, nuts and bars and uh, it's just real food. Like nothing, um, nothing too sporty. I did have uh, a couple of uh, I call them emergency packs, the espresso ones. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, the goose. Goose, yes. But yeah, the- I've heard those. Can, there's like a lot of mixed things on that. Sometimes those can be kind of dangerous. I, I think I like about them is that some of them have like 50 grams or 50 milligrams of caffeine. Mm, yeah, um, that's great. So it's good to have caffeine in that form if you can't find like decent coffee. Because I'd rather bonk than drink like really, really bad coffee. <laughs> really? <laughs> Let's see if this shows up. Uh, it's, it's, uh. <laughs> I got this. I got this mug uh, as a gift. It's called Coffee Snob. It's because of how much shit I talk about that coffee. But honestly, life's too short for that coffee. <laughs> Wait, what's the coffee like in Kuwait? Oh man. Um, so my grandfather roasts uh, coffee for the whole family. Uh, oh. Yeah. Cool. It, pretty pretty good at it. Uh, but coffee is super super different. It's not black. It's uh, mostly blonde, uh, and you drink in these tiny cups. Uh, in shots. Um, Wait, what does blonde mean? Blonde it reflects the color, basically. Of the bean or the drink? Both of them, actually. The bean is oh. barely roasted, you know? Okay. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, not black at all. Uh, so. Interesting. And then a lot of, wait, little shots and then cream? No cream, no nothing. Uh, nothing, just the way my grandfather used to brew it is uh, he would boil it with saffron and cardamom, uh, kind of like spice it up. Yeah. The, the closest coffee you can get to whatever uh, people do back there is there's a local local coffee shop called Kopi on Burnside, and they have a ginger-infused uh, coffee, like ginger and spice-infused coffee, and it's pretty good. Cool. Weird. Do you ever get that, like – for like a comfort food kind of vibe? Uh, not really. I, I have I have his coffee in my fridge actually, which oh, cool. I haven't touched in years. But not really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the co- coffee in Portland's pretty legit. So. It's amazing. I mean, I'm not afraid to say that I'm addicted to it. You know, it's right. so good. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the hard part about leaving. It, it, there's a high standard here. Oh, there's. I mean, the bar is too high right now. Honestly. Uh, but the third wave is like blowing up throughout the world, right? True. True. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Uh, maybe we should talk about the trucks real quick before we <laughs> send this off. So did you, so Abe has this badass Tacoma that has a camper, no, that has like a rooftop tent on the back and he's ready to bug out at any moment on that thing. Yeah. And uh, I'm just curious, like how you got into doing that kind of stuff. Well, it's basically uh, thanks to my family. Uh, I mean, we were, we're always connected to the desert, uh, whether by camping, going hunting, or uh, do you call it like falconry, I guess? Have you ever? Oh, whoa. For Explain that. Uh, so I used to, uh, like over the weekends during the winter, we would go out to our camp in the middle of the desert and we'd just uh, – hunt using falcons but we don't hunt wild animals we have like pigeons that you know would just release and it's it's some sort of like keeping up with the uh uh, the, uh like the tradition of hunting with falcons it's just so cool 
you know. Um, so do you have like your own Falcons? Do you rent a Falcon? Like how does it work? So yeah, you, you have your own Falcon that you get, uh, you build this relationship with because you have to build trust with it, you know, for the first few weeks or something like that, uh, you have to uh, uh, close its eyes. Like, I mean, you have to like put this thing over its head. Uh, yeah, I totally know. Where it kind of, you know, just recognizes you based on your voice. Uh, so you have to like establish that connection. So uh, I'm not really good at it. Like I was more of a, a spectator and observer rather than somebody who did it. Uh, but I was more interested in the going going long and going far into the desert, exploring the oases around uh, the peninsula, um, and just like the uh, the chill life. I guess I guess it would be the gravel of cycling, if you know what I mean. Or the gravel of what? Of what? You know, gravel riding and cycling, it's all about like, you know, going slow and not going hard. It's all about exploring. I think it's endurance. Yeah. But that is the equivalent to what? You, uh, my type of like overlanding, I guess, if you want to call it. Got it. Adventuring. It's, it's about exploration and that. So, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Do you feel like you tie those two together? Like often? uh gravel riding and, and that yeah like now you know in from where you're at now with the setup you have yeah definitely you, you know uh i used to i used to uh uh, uh just what do you call it uh mudding go go out, go out mudding or something like that yeah I, honestly uh out east uh, out west in the tillamook range uh um, totally yeah and look, look i mean and going out to Moab and hitting the trails and oh, wow. crawling and all. I mean, that's how, that's how I, that's how I built the truck because I broke everything on it uh, that I replaced. I remember destroying my front bumper going up this uh, trail called uh, Top of the World in Moab, which is amazing. It's worth breaking my, my front bumper for. So I broke it, uh, came back the next year with a steel bump, bumper, broke the rear, came back with uh, the following year with a steel uh, bumper, so it was it was the product of the environment, I want to say, you know, it was adapted to it. Um, but have you been like, you know, we did one trip mm-hmm. into the North Cascades where we, you know, drove our rigs, camped out, and then we did a ride and stuff. But mm-hmm. do you feel like you do those pretty often, like use the the truck as like a, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it, like a like a bug out point, you know, like build a build an adventure like, OK, today I'm going to go out to the Olympic yeah. forest, find a dispersed spot and then do like some ride from that and then end up back in that place. Yeah. I feel, I, I don't think I've done that, uh, intentionally. I think it was, uh, um, I, the truck, the truck came first, right. Uh, totally. I was really interested in exploring the, the you know, the, let's say the Olympic, uh, peninsula through using my truck, driving up and down, you forgotten, uh, forest roads, and then I realized that it's more fun to do that on the bike. Uh, totally. The OMTM rides, they're so artistically made, you know, the descents, the viewpoints, and all of that, uh, that I feel like a bike is the better way to do it. But the best way to get out there is using a truck like that. And then why not just stay in that environment, like drive out the night before, mm-hmm. use that as like the dis- or the launching point? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's a moving it's a moving home, right? Especially exactly. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I feel like, I you know, it's almost like it gets overwhelming with the routing on doing those. Yeah. I'm always like, I want to do this, but there's so much unknown with those like deep forest roads that like you could build a perfect route and you get out there and five miles into it, you're like, this doesn't work. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you're like, okay. But uh, and then I guess at the same time, it kind of doesn't matter, right? You just ride around up. <laughs> yeah. It beats, it beats leaving your house at five in the morning to get to the trailhead or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. At least you can park in the vicinity and you can, like we like what we did. We we camped uh, in a location where we didn't start from, even though we passed by our camp. Uh, I wish we would have stayed. I I still think it was stupid that we like drove to the start. I'm like we're fucking parked on the route. Like just drive right. That's why we're here. Like just ride the route. I think I think we agreed on uh, ending with a descent rather than an uphill. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean. Whatever. I was pretty burnt out, so I was definitely happy to be descending. Man, that was that was so much fun. Oh. That was a good one. Yeah. What about mountain bike for you? Have you? Oh, I love mountain biking. I don't do own you... it. Oh, okay. Have uh, you ridden them? Sorry. Do you have you ridden them? Oh yeah, dude. Uh, a oh. couple weeks back, I think uh, was the last time I I went out to uh, uh, Timberline. Have you been to Timberline? Yeah. The park. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not a park. What oh mean? man. You got to check out the park. It's so awesome, dude. Is it like jumps and all that? Uh, it, I mean, it, only if you want. If we, only if you want to hit the black lanes. But uh, the trails are so flowy and there's so like good. everything. Oh. Like six or seven trails. I could be wrong, but there's so many trails that I can't count. I couldn't count them all. Uh, but yeah, I usually uh, head out there with my buddy Evan, uh, who got me. He was actually one of the main people who got me into cycling. Actually, you know. Uh, he was the one that introduced me to the professional or the like true recreational cycling, like that we do right now. Uh, I used to ride my bike wearing shorts and you know a shirt, uh, which is nothing. There's nothing wrong with that, but I feel like that kind of hinders you from like going further and longer. And totally. Yeah. Uh, so he tried. He he's still trying to get me to buy a buy a mountain bike, but I don't think it's financially wise. Uh, but dude, it's so much fun. I highly recommend uh, the park. Or we can so, do down. Do you rent a bike then when you're up there? Like what? Oh, okay. Oh, that's a. I didn't know you could do. I should do that. Yeah, dude. At least you know that way. The way I see it is that you can get the latest uh, technology. You know, for eighty bucks a day. Because in reality, how many times are you going to go bike a year? Uh, for me, if I biked mountain bike like five times a year, that's still way cheaper than buying a mountain bike and maintaining it. You know, oh, yeah, I've heard there are a lot of maintenance. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. It obviously is true because there's just more shit on them. <laughs> Richie, honestly, don't you have uh, a rigid? I'm so sick of getting beat up on all these trails. I'm just like over it. Yeah, I just need to see what. Be like, oh, they built the whole industry for doing this stuff. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, cool. This was great. Abe, thanks so much for being on here. What a pleasure. It's cool to get to know you a little that much more, you know? Just a little bit more. Uh, no, honestly, it was uh, it was it was so much fun talking to you, honestly. Like always, of course. Uh, and, of course, the pleasure was all mine to be on here. Um, and, yeah, this is cool doing a podcast. Like, very hip. You know? <laughs> Ooh.
that was a great session. Thank you, Abe, for spending your time with us and letting us get to know the inner workings of your magical mind. If anybody wants to follow Abe a little bit more, it's at AbePDXTaco on Instagram. And today's episode was brought to you by the Everything's Been Done Gear Shop. The Everything's Been Done Gear Shop has everything you could ever want ever. Shop, the EBD Gear Shop. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. If you've made it this far, you are truly a true player. Much respect, and we will see you next week.